grain podcast rub vaseline on the lens patreon what no q a I always wear this bucket hat when I'm directing. Wes Anderson sucks. Wes Anderson. I, I go mentally ill. Why do we have to see his exactly. fucking name in the movie? Spike Jones sucks bad. Instagram. You are in creative. We get it. Anything by Cassavetes. Discord. As a filmmaker, he is nothing. A zero. He's a, a pig piece of shit. Let the creative people talk to the money people. I'm an artist. One of the first great artists of the 21st century. These guys are liberal filmmakers. They cannot be trusted. Best in This is a film. Doritos bags look not different. You make out with girls. And you'll never make it in this business. Left-wing politics. Best in We watch a mean girl. But it's time to admit you are a fan of the Iron Man. I call director Jesus. I'm my fucking line producer, Trust Fund, baby. M. Night Shyamalan. Final Cut Pro. Never make a movie. I was right. obsessed with trash. The movie's trash, you know? Joe Schmo did the fucking food. Gritty New York City. Josh Sapke. Reduced black ratio. James Gray sucks. Give me brackage. What's the deal with me and I on back? Uh, I just think they're funny. Mike Young sucks, man. There's a whole group of guys who pretend to be making special films. Give me brackage. about sound. This is a film. Yo. Yo. Yo, what the fuck is really good, everybody? We're back. What the fuck is really good, everyone? I'm back. I'm Pod. We went to Sundance online. We did. It's interesting. We were just looking. So you don't have to. Yeah, so you don't have to. <laughs> it was just interesting. We were just looking. We were like, is there no fucking like quote or like theme this year? Because there was the risk theme. Yeah. The ri- one, well, yeah. there's future filmmaker. That's all I saw. Yeah, future filmmaker. They always do that. They like always do Female that. filmmaker, future filmmaker. It's like for babies. <laughs> <laughs> is it? I thought it was adult size shirts. No, I think it's baby shirts. Oh, that's pretty sick. <laughs> um, but there's no theme this year, from what I can tell, which is interesting. I guess it's mostly a reaction to us roasting the risk thing. Right? They, they, they just heard realized, it and they realized they, were they heard about it, and that was like they're like, "All right, we got to <laughs> drop the act." <laughs> um, we saw a couple. Well, we both watched one movie, but I wanted to talk about the fact. Yeah, that I only watched one movie. They yeah. switched this shit to online, right? They yeah. are, they're not having it again. Oh, they, everyone who's in it must have been so pissed. Everybody's dude. pissed again. Yeah. And they're having us bail them out again <laughs> by reporting on it. No. Um, <laughs> uh, but what's interesting is that some of their, all the screenings are online, and one of the screenings is sold out. Like one of the movies I wanted to watch. I, that's what I was, I was like, you being like, dude, oh, you got to get a ticket. I was like, get a ticket. It's, it's not going to sell out. It can sell out. There's this new Jesse Eisenberg movie that I really want to watch for multiple reasons. Um, I guess yeah, it's that's just to incentivize people 
paying $20 to watch something on their computer when they, who would well, want I was, that? I was talking to somebody about it and they were like, oh, they're being like exclusive about it. Cause like yeah. they only want certain people to see it. And I was like, so they're like NFTing the, the fucking shit out of the yeah. movies now. It's like, you can't. Well, watch. I think it's just because how, I mean, there feels like absolutely nothing special about watching something, you know, on your computer or just even, even if you're on a TV, like just watching it in your house and paying $20 for one screening when half of that gets through streaming service. So I guess that just incentivizes, I guess maybe they were afraid people were like, oh, I'll wait for it to be on streaming style shit, you know? Yeah, it's just so dumb. Because like one of the things that I actually like about, I mean, I hate almost everything about like the online, virtual, whatever. Anything yeah. happening virtually, despite loving the fucking internet, is like Sucks complete bad. horseshit to me. We never got involved in any of these like virtual, you know, streamed concerts during COVID. It was all... You guys got to start a podcast. Yeah. No fo- no phones. Yeah. No, what, I mean, what, why are you blowing up? What is all this? <laughs> I'm always blowing up. We got to read this off, everybody. All right, so we got Goots. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, what was this? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, especially now. I mean, I guess in the beginning when everybody had no other choice, but it's like who, I, that's, they must not be selling that many tickets because you could just go see a movie in real life. You Like only... I don't know. Maybe there's more nerds than I give credit for, but... Well, the only thing that I like about it is that, like, I've gone to Sundance many a time, and, like, Mm. part of the reason I always feel like an asshole is I'm like, oh, I got to see the movies before everybody. Mm. And, you know, there's, like, uh, this whole group of guys that travel around the world going to film festivals basically for that artistic flex of being like, oh, I saw that at Venice. Mm -hmm. I actually saw that at Tribeca. Yeah. The losers shit. Strong class shit. Yeah, well, big shots to Sean. Um, <laughs> no, but you know what I'm saying? It's just like that becomes their personal creative clout of like they saw this thing before you in this context mm-hmm. because they're rich. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they're and because they're not working on their own movie. They're working <laughs> on getting flights and Airbnbs and hotels to go watch other people's to, cre- to collect the creative clout that that gives them. Yeah. But something that I liked about the online thing is I was like, oh, great. Everybody can watch mm-hmm. these things at the same time. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, that's actually sick. And, like, 20, yeah. 20 bucks is still a lot, but it's still, like, yeah. you know, whatever. It's, like, cool. You get to see the movie. It's, yeah. like, they're, they're premiering. Right, but they're trying to keep the – they're trying to maintain the – well, if they lose the exclusivity element, like, they, they, they lost hard everything. To get back. Yeah. Well, what they did with, well, I'll get to it in a second. But Sold out. Oh, my God. I know, No, well, because I figured, I was like, oh, I got to get tickets for that. Because I actually had a ticket for this movie in real life. They didn't refund people. Really? For Yeah. No, this is insane. Sorry, Sundance. You're, go, you're going on blast right now. But <laughs> So my dad bought some sort of, like, package where you could get, like, a bunch of tickets. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, you know, expensive. And, like, they, they were like, we're going to offer you a $200 credit towards next year's festival and he was like no you're gonna refund my money for the thing that's not happening <laughs> and he's like they're like no you can like use it for online screenings for next festival or like or or this festival or like it can go towards 200 right, right, right. he was like but it was like two thousand dollars so i'm like so what do you like what the fuck and they're doing this whole grift of like they're like oh well it was out of our control and then we said it was non-refundable it's like you said like non-refundable refers to if it happened yeah yeah, it's like if it's something on my end happened yeah anyway point of the matter is somehow despite having tickets for a real movie theater screening of this fucking jesse eisenberg movie 
it sold out in an online unlimited capacity. So ridiculous. Great work, Sundance. Yeah, so ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I think that it does go to this thing of like I think it's an I think it's a twenty four this movie. And I think they're trying to like yeah, they're trying to like hold out for like, oh no, we need to really like push this mm-hmm. once it's like really out or whatever. Um Anyway, I think one of the ways that they did well with that, even though it's like not really a movie that should necessarily be at Sundance or at a film festival, is this Kanye duck, which they showed the first part of, and they're going to release two more installments of it on Netflix. I was like, all right, that's fair enough, I guess. Like, we don't need to see all five hours of the A shit right now. Um, was it good? It's really sick, yeah. I mean, it's this guy who's been... <clears throat> filming Kanye for like 20 years like this it's like literally like his personal would it be as good for a non-diehard fan oh yeah I mean like my parents fucking hate Kanye and they they were like should we actually watch it and I was like yeah it's probably heat and they were like oh my god like my mom was like I think I actually like him it's because they were watching because the first installment is the old Kanye it's like the early like when he's like living in Newark New Jersey and like traveling into like make Jay-Z's beats is like very endearing um Anyway, I'm going to go back to some of the other... Well, actually, do you want to just start with what we both... Uh, I'm just going to give a rapid fire for the other shit that I watched. I watched The Cathedral by Ricky D'Ambrose, which, honestly, I probably can't comment on. Um, Why? <laughs> I don't know, man. It's like... <sighs> Rate it. Because I'm a nice guy, I'm giving it a big chance. Um, Be honest. It's re- Well, it's just... It's really just is not my cup of tea. Um... Also, I have a I have a grudge against this movie because when it was first announced that it was a part of the uh, the festival, it said in parentheses Italy, and I know for a fact that this movie was <laughs> made in fucking America <laughs> by an American man. Um, I guess it was something about like like Venice gave him money or something for oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, so now it's Italian. The movie's Italian <laughs> because you got money from it to Italy, which I thought was sick because I was like, oh, I'm gonna like I'm gonna get money from Africa for my next movie, and it's gonna be Africa now. <laughs> The movie's African. <laughs> Where's the movie from? Africa. That's so sick. By Ion 2. Yeah. My African movie. Um, but yeah, no. So Ricky made this Italian film. And I actually, the, the reason I'm giving it a big shout is because it's a movie. I saw his previous film, Notes on an Appearance, which he's very deep into this like Bersonian slash Wes Anderson mode where it's like very stilted, lots of like voiceover saturated kind of stilted bizarre dialogue you know very it's all static shots it's, they're all very like you know meticulously um composed and everything sounds pretty green it is green beautifully lensed by the legend bart court right huge house um there is just something maybe like alienating about the style that i think is maybe the point of it and i think probably does really reflect his vision as a filmmaker but um, it's really just not for me. It kind of like is sort of the opposite of why I, I like movies as a medium. It's like they give me feelings and this the, his movies sort of take them away from me. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm giving a big shout though is I think it's an improvement over his previous movie and I think he's getting better at this really annoying style. Um, <laughs> 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 like actually, because I was still annoyed by it. I was like, but it's, 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 he's getting better at this. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. Bullshit. Um, <laughs> so big shouts. Um, I'll watch it when I don't have to pay twenty dollars for it. Yeah, no, there's on my computer. There's there's some like cool Clinton archival footage that also probably didn't belong in there, but um, 
I do. But here's the thing is I really respect when somebody makes a movie that I'm like, this is purely their vision. And like, it actually yeah, feels like, like a mark them of, on their shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, this is their personality. I was like, you know what? He did it. He translated his soul for me. And I fucking yeah, yeah, respect yeah, yeah, yeah. that. Despite almost not making it through, um, <laughs> which is very rare for me. Um, but yeah, big shouts. Second one I th- watched was uh, Lena Dunham's new movie. I am very stoked to see this. Sharp Stick. Yeah. No, Lena Dunham, huge shouts, first of all. Huge fucking shouts. Um, legend if there ever was one. Oh, yeah. Huge, An- Angel if huge, there ever was one. Two huge fans over here. Mentally ill if there ever was one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we did, we've, I think both of us have always had a real affection for, for Lena. I definitely yeah. have. Yeah. I mean, the thing that people don't understand is her work always seems more self-aware than she does. In a really strange way, it's she's a really that's perplexing. Tension. That's exactly figure in that the way. tension. With yeah, her. it's sort of like how does she make stuff that feels so genuine, but she right. comes off like she in real life. It's some like Lena goes off in the wrong way. Yeah, but that, well, I didn't watch Girls Live. I watched it all much later, so I knew all about her as a as a as a yeah, pop culture. Figure. And I knew about all her various gaffes and controversies and whatever. Yeah. Um, and when I was watching Girls for the first time, I remember thinking like. Was the whole is she just like all performance? Is this all a character? You know what I mean? She's like too self aware to have actually said all this shit. <laughs> girls is performance art. No, what I mean, like, is her public persona performance art? Because when you watch girls, it's like she clearly is aware. No, she's first of all, I think she's like brilliant. Like, I think Same. she's like yeah. so. I mean, I think what we maybe both look for in like good artists is people who are like beaten, like, not only observant and aware of their own reality but self-aware like the, yeah, like yeah the exactly. under, understanding the faults and you know upsides yeah, and of their it, personality it, but also there's something i really appreciate about girls is even though it's obviously she's the main character and this seems to be a complaint about her is that she's some type of you know narcissist whatever um i weirdly get less of that from her than like you know some woody allen style shit well, we should also mention that Lena is was or is a big fan of Kabe, which makes a whole lot yeah, of sense. Yeah, exactly. It's but somebody the, who takes the narcissistic mode and actually does yeah, really yeah. beautiful, and, uh, genuine I don't know. I, I think in a lot of her writing and just kind of vision, there is a deep understanding of, of culture, which obviously Woody Allen style shit there obviously is too, but sometimes that stuff just gets so about yourself it's well, we talked about this with Hari. Like, girls was a show for for us for our generation yeah. when we moved to new york and it and it translated it well it was funny it was insightful actually was before touching. before i forget just to bookmark it so i remember there is a through line between girls and the movie we're um sharp stick no no, no the movie we're going to talk about later oh yeah maybe uh, in the bathroom yes which there's a through line between those two that i want to touch on but we'll get there oh, when we get to do. meet me yeah um i've I, i've actually been hearing i like i kn- i've known about lena Dunham for a long time like we had a friend who went to Oberlin, right 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 and i remember he was saying like yo my friend lena is like she's doing all this crazy shit she's like posting youtube videos of her like getting naked in the fountain and shit <laughs> i was like tight <laughs> <laughs> like i was just like it didn't mean anything to me but then it was like fast forward a little bit it was like, sort of like oh yeah like judd apatow is like reaching out to her about doing some sort of like hbo shit and it was around the same time that like i had i had just seen tiny furniture at ifc because i had, mm. i was like oh she was like made a movie and stuff and like tiny furniture's pretty sick 
Um, and then it was sort of like, oh, then she blew up and, and did girls and became like Taylor Swift bestie, like huge part of pop culture. Um, but she's always been someone who is not in like a body positivity way, but like very, like very comfortable being themselves and translating themselves exactly how they see themselves, no, no matter how mentally ill. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, Tiny Furniture is like a, a total self-roast of like bougie, like art school girl yeah, yeah, yeah. lifestyle, which is, which is cool. It's, that's what she knows. Um, and girls is more or less, yeah, just b- being in your 20s and wanting to kind of, you know, do something meaningful or respectable or possibly creative with your life and ultimately being kind of like a self-centered millennial brat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's what's defining what's good right now. Um, so <laughs> she did that. This new one, it's been 11 years since she made a movie. This is only her second movie. Tiny Furniture was her first. Sharpstick is her second. And this movie, I, I don't want to give too much away about it, but it is um, deals with a lot of insane shit. It's probably it's probably the most mentally ill movie. I think my rating for this is I'm going mentally ill. Oh, right. That's a rating. Because that is a rating. Right. So true. This movie made me completely mentally ill. We were <laughs> hollering, hooting and hollering this the, the entire way through. Like, so much insane shit happens in this movie. And it's getting, the reason, I want to also give it an insane heat, because it got it's getting so critically wrecked right now, because people hate Lena so much, yeah. that I've, I just feel bad for her. And it's, <clears> it, it is a perfect representation of where her soul is at the moment. I don't know if I want to get too deep in, into what I'm it does. I'm very, this. very stoked to see it. <clears throat> I'm always just curious to see what she's doing, and I, I think she knocked this one out of the park. Um, big shouts to Ashley Connor for uh, DP on it. Um, Kanye movie was sick, but the real thing that we want to talk about, well, Kanye movie, I'm going to give Insane Heat also because it's just it's super well done. Um, but the movie that we really wanted to talk about here today is Meet Me in the Bathroom. Meet Me in the Bathroom. Guess an insane heat for me. Absolutely an insane heat. Definitely also, not. Also, weirdly, I'm going mentally ill. <laughs> why Why do you say that? We'll get into it, but did it not make you a little mentally ill? It did. I mean, it almost made me cry. <laughs> oh, I cried. It, yeah, it's. Um, I absolutely cried. Yeah, it's really. I mean, I don't know how to. Talk you know about who made so both of us cry is the, the god, god Paul Banks, who's like one of the lead narrators of this movie. I mean, his portions of it are so like emotional and and relatable. And well, that's what I was going to say. I don't want. I don't know how to go too into this without just it making it about me personally relating because it comes from my like a world that I was in style shit. No, but, but this is our fucking wheelhouse. This is like a movie yeah, about it was the LES yeah. If, if you don't know what the movie the is. It's about LES slash Williamsburg from 99, like 99 to, to 05. It doesn't even go that late. It's like 2004. I feel like it went to 05. Maybe not. Um, yeah, yeah, 03. Very right. much, uh, very much. But, you know, about the indie rock world in, in Brooklyn and, and Lower East Side in those years. And uh, very much in our wheelhouse. Great to finally see some straight white men representation at Sundance, too. I mean, I, it was sort of insane. I was. It almost feels like edgy to yeah, watch. I watch. I, I was like, oh man, there's all these like famous like white guy musicians. Yeah, I know. Like especially when James Murphy lands on screen, I'm like, damn, we were going hard with the white guys. I mean, James cr- crushes it. James, James crushes it. It's he really like, does. well, the, we should, it's also worth mentioning these two directors 
also made shot up and play the hits the LCD doc, which is also very good. Right. Well, the the reason that LCD and you know I feel like some people might complain like they already did an LCD doc. Why they make this so LCD heavy? Um, when there was like clearly a bunch of other bands in that era too that didn't that only got like a passing mention. I think it was such an interesting perspective because obviously you take the Strokes and most of these other bands who were like kids. Yeah, like we should 21. say the bands that are sort of investigated are the Strokes, the AAS, LCD Sound System, the Moldy Peaches, uh, Wires, a little bit the, TV on the radio. The Rapture. The Rapture, right. Um, and it was interesting to see the perspective of, you know, 21-year-old Strokes getting big out of nowhere and just being like crazy drugged out kids. Um, doing you know the trashing the hotel room just like generic rock star thing yeah. um, and kind of getting caught up in that whereas you have James Murphy's perspective which is the complete opposite someone who was a little aimless but clearly so smart and tapped in had been around and been in New York for like well over a decade and was he was a lot like us <laughs> yeah exactly exactly that was my favorite part was the scene where he... It's because we fucking relate. Yeah, the, the talking about how like everyone in his crew, whoever that DJ was who he did shit with... Um, yeah, who the fuck was I know, that who was guy? it? He seemed annoying as fuck. I know. Um, they clearly didn't respect me that they were like, fuck this guy being like family yeah. famous. Yeah. But just like them all going to a club and and rolling, like doing ecstasy and, and James wouldn't do it and he's like sitting there like stressed and like yeah. not, doesn't know how to party, like never... Dr- I, I related to him very hard in that moment. But it was that... Um, the portrait of him as this this like aging guy who's still so frustrated and still has like all this desire and it's like no I I I really get this like why why can't I make anything work like why can't I do anything and then he meaningful just did it and seeing that juxtaposed with like these young kids who and got big out of nowhere all the white privilege just, under his belt <laughs> he just rose to the top <laughs> <laughs> instantly. <laughs> Um, it's. I mean, I actually do think that's worth mentioning because there. I don't necessarily quite think there could be a James Murphy in the same way, like right now. I, I mean, uh, James Murphy is not coming out with losing my edge right now and being like, "Damn, these, there's really something new happening." But see, that's what, and I'm not even like a huge LCD fan at all, for the record. I, I'm probably a bigger one than you. I went to like the last concert and shit. I never. I mean, I not the I, recent shit. Yeah. Not, the, uh, since they made that movie and were like, we quit as a band, and then they came and back. They, I'm done with. They that. started touring like twice as much. Yeah. Sorry, James. Um. No, I mean, I love like all my friends and all the big songs, but like, I'm not really a fan. I never delved into them deeply, but. That's what's cool is there could there be a James Murphy? There never was like the way in which he rose and the way in which he just the space that he occupied yeah. is pretty singular. Like I can't think of examples of him before him. Like that's why he's so interesting to me. Yeah. It's like he really just is a unique figure in that way, you know? Yeah. Or, or people who were like him before were purely record producers, like people behind the scenes, but someone who- He is a behind the scenes guy who was like, all right, I'm sick of this. Like yeah. putting on for everybody, what, like I want to do it. And that's why he's a unique, um, well, he's a unique figure in that way. What's interesting about him is that like they introduce him by being like, they were all, you know, this whole scene was happening in Brooklyn and we were in Manhattan. I'm sort of curious about like his background. I'm like, how was he in Manhattan with this big studio? I mean, I, first of all, I don't like think Manhattan- sort of Manhattan caked. still wasn't that expensive back then. To be fair, we've been to that studio. It's in the West Village. Yeah, but <laughs> it's. I mean, first of all, he probably split it with fuck. with like a bunch of people. But he was de- he definitely like well, I mean, he's older. He probably you know he probably done. Yeah, remember he he was like supposed producer. to write for Seinfeld. Remember that? 
right. He like had all these weird jobs. He's so us. Yeah, he like turned down writing for Seinfeld because he wanted to do music and then didn't. Ha- he, he it's was like us spiraling. turning down writing for Gossip Girl and Emily <laughs> in Paris. All stuff has been thrown at us yeah. that we didn't respond to. <laughs> um, and we appreciate all the offers and stuff, but no. But I thought it was cool. It it, it was we cool. We needed to make the mashup. <laughs> <laughs> we needed the focus no, but I remember when we talked to Paul on this podcast and he was like it wasn't a super cohesive scene we weren't like all hanging out I that's wasn't a, like that's getting actually what from, I got from the doc exactly that's, that it's like this this thing that was sort of you know kind of designed by the you know spin magazine mm-hmm. essentially where I'm like there's a New York rock boom that it's like they really they really all were not hanging out no like was, Paul, especially in Interpol, were were complete outsiders. Yeah. What was happening? But it seems like none of these bands really knew each other that well. I mean, obviously they were around the city together, but I think the common thread, the reason there was a boom, was how they were explaining about the Williamsburg boom, and there was everybody moved across the river, and all of a sudden they had enormous spaces, and they just had yeah. like it was total like free for all. And there were still remnants of that Brooklyn when we first moved to New York. Yeah, it was here. It was super gentrified by that time, obviously, but... It was more of a grizzly bear. Yeah, and you know, it wasn't, like, as complete just... You could just walk into these giant buildings for no money, obviously, when we got here. But it was still... There was remnants of that era. Yeah. Um, it's done. I think that that... It's totally done. I think that that freedom that was afforded by just, like, open space and people who just could come you know it was similar to baltimore and all these other cities we always talk about how strong their art scenes are all the time and similar to how well like mercury lounge is, was giving the strokes a yeah, residency yeah, yeah. where they're playing every like think about this the strokes played at the mercury lounge every wednesday of some right season in new york right That's, well the, but my, my point is i, I just the, the freedom of that era of new york there's just tons of people who could actually live there for very little money. They even, I forget who says it. Someone says it where they're like, once everyone moved to Williamsburg, it was just, everyone decided, oh, I can quit my job because it doesn't matter. I'll like, doesn't matter if I'm not making money. We're all like living in these giant lofts and yeah, we have room to play. Like we have enough people to play for things kind of happened organically. So there was a scene, even though it wasn't, everyone was hanging out, but that's the other thing that we've, talked about a million times is that scenes are not like five cool artists hanging out together in an apartment scenes are have as much to do maybe even more to do with their with the audience as it does the the artist well it's like there was a common artistic output that's like because i kind of balked and i think we both did when the doc starts with like kimia dawson and moldy peaches i was like oh no moldy peaches suck bad for the record i was like holy shit did i hate this fucking nonsense that was the most sarah launch shit oh dude i just like and then i went to it was was unbelievable it sucks um but actually i liked it in the same after a while i got because they were like and then the anti-folk scene i was like holy shit they're starting (laughs) with this please start with julian casablancas or something but it was like this anti-folk thing but then i then they have this footage of like paul banks playing like acoustic guitar in sort of an anti-folk yeah yeah sort of feeling yeah and then then they're showing Karen O from AAS. Like, it's like, oh, sort of, yeah, it's like, I was like, oh, yeah, like her vocal thing kind of has this 
this folk thing going on before it went like crazy rock and they, they them sort of they didn't really explicitly say like it all came from anti-folk or whatever but like you could just literally hear right. the commonality how, between their voices yeah and i think but see how that correlated to the the brooklyn manhattan thing like claustrophobic lower east side you just you have like a little venue everyone's in their apartment yeah. it was like a solo acoustic guitar type of venture yeah. and things kind of opened up as Brooklyn opened up. I really think that that physical nature to where people were um, having space and lofts, et cetera, was, was a huge part of why that, why that happened. And that's what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is like, that is why that happened because those spaces could exist and it created people coming there to be a part of it. And it was about, an artist and the relationship with the people who were there to see them, the audience was just as important as the artist. Yeah, like the strokes were getting big in New York. Like they, yeah. were, they had fans, everybody knew the words and they were showing, they were playing well, constantly. And people forget that that's how it used to work. Like that's until just, it's like, until yeah, the just past playing. 10 years, that's when the internet, it had to be like you got big on the internet first. That That's a new thing. It used to be like you were a band that had a following. Yeah. Like physically. Yeah then people took notice now it's you have to get the following online to even book a show and bring people out to the show no i mean you know there's a million reasons first of all record labels incentivize that because you literally need to demonstrate that before anyone will help put you on which was true Venues then but, book in a, you. but in a physical way yeah and it, it, in a different way of packing a venue but also i think people now because of competitive social media like yeah. No one wants to do the playing to five people thing now yeah. because it just looks bad online. Yeah. It also kind of shoots some of your, I mean, trust me, as someone who booked shows for a living for a while, yeah. we would have people who had like 50,000 followers online and we thought, and literally no one came. So there's like this weird element where that doesn't translate and the people don't, people have their egos from social media that they, they're too ashamed to, to translate and do the play to five people thing. It's a whole different landscape other conversation but yeah but oh well here's where it connects to girls so i can't remember what season it is i think i want to say it's the first season but maybe not there's that episode of girls where they go to like bushwick loft party yeah um which is so so accurate yeah especially for that time what was it, like 2011 2012 yeah. or something like that that's when I was going to shit like that. Yeah. And it was, it's so, that's so exactly it. And connecting it to this movie, the first time I went to a party in Bushwick was with Theo Anthony, <laughs> right across from McKibben Lofts. And yeah. I remember the exact moment, I think we brought it up on his pod, yeah, yeah, yeah. where the drop happens and Dance Yourself Clean by LCD Sound System. <laughs> and like the entire outdoor of Roberta's just started mm. like bumping. <laughs> All, all white people, but it was, it was just like, yeah. it was so lit. I, I guess, um, you know, I'm sure this does exist more than I'm aware now, but I just, I realized like, I think the reason I don't enjoy like my social life as much anymore is because there isn't like giant parties. We're just like at people's apartments on the Lower East Side now. That is why we throw them. Yeah. Because we need them. It's no, it's so true. I mean, this, this that is that era. Thing, no, the, and watching even up to when I first lived in New York, like we would be in these like Morgan Ave uh, warehouses, and it was fucking sick. Well, that was the thing is that there was a lot of pushback, and I think we did some episode where we were talking about like the importance of parties, and we were a little bit on our high horse. But I was like no, watching this documentary so, no, last no, night, and it's it was completely like, true. I was it's, like, look at how fucking important they are. Yeah, yeah. 
It's like a documentary about like how they literally defined I'm the looking, coolest era of our city. I'm ready for uh, the McKibben Lofts to make a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> McKibben Loft parties in the summer were sick. They hit so different in 2011. The our Russian Samovar party is important. Just saying. Um, yeah. But there's there's some incredible footage. There's footage of Paul in this movie walking around like the the 9/11 rubble and debris. That's just like. Paul has some really good quotes. Just I think that a lot of young artists will relate to. Um, I think you know, not even as a musician, just any young artist. I think they'll relate to a lot of stuff that's said in this. I think it's it really portrays the weird side of of making this kind of stuff happen well the doc is also very demystifying like that, every exactly. time, every time you hear yes. paul talk it's just sort of like oh he like adored and i know this about him but like he adored the strokes and julian so much and like admired what they yeah, were yeah, doing yeah. And, like you could even sense like oh like interpol is like was like this austere like cooler than ever band that was happening but it was like oh in paul's head he's sort of like oh man the strokes are so cool yeah like there's this like insecurity thing of like you know, they're the, all there so was, aware of everything that's Then there happening. was insecurity within the, the strokes. strokes with Albert getting all fucked up about, like, not being taken seriously enough. And, or yeah. just not no, being, that like, killed credit. me. It was like Albert showing, Albert Hammond Jr. showing his music to Ryan Adams. Because, like, do you want to hear my music? Nobody ever, like, pays attention to it. Yeah. I was like, the guy in the strokes in 2001 thought that exactly that no one paid no but that's why that's why demystifying is a great word it's um yeah it's, it's really good this is a really good doc it's it's any even if you are not into indie rock at all and may not have the kind of nostalgic reverence for it that we do um in that way it's really there's a lot of universality in it i think the two things that popped out to me were one speaking to what you're talking about with like there was this is a very physical manifestation of a scene then it was like mm -hmm. watching something that like i know the perfect parallel for now in 2022 which is this in the doc they show this um all night on like broadcast on trl or like something on yeah. on tv where it's like, we, we gotta do some shit like that it's like a courtney love takeover of trl or something <laughs> so where sick. like she like invited people to like this like, it was like the times like square shit the yeah. times square there was like a bed in there and like <laughs> albert and like fab roll up and they like go to sleep and ryan adams camera. right yeah, and Ryan Adams. Ryan like, Adams. I was like, this is literally the parallel of like, so, like somebody just like going live on Instagram. Yeah, 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 I was yeah. like, they used to be having like fucking Courtney Love in a studio, like inviting the Strokes to just like go sleep on camera. I was like, this is like, it's mm. crazy. It was just crazy to see that. But the thing that really popped out to me about this, which is a sort of like decline of Western civilization thing, is just that like this scene felt so important at the time and still does to us and like is being canonized in this doc and like being remembered mm -hmm. but it is interesting <clears throat> to look at how small a period of time it was yeah and what a flash in the pan of all of their lives it was yeah like obviously like you know all those bands went on to have careers that were much larger than the scene that it came from but they're all, all of their mystique and all of like their stadium tours that all these fucking bands go on was built on like the cool mystique of the origin story which is that like these were the new york bands yeah. a part of like the mm -hmm. 2001 back to basics rock movement yep and it's like that thing happened for like two or three years and it was done and they it wasn't even really cohesive it just like kind exactly. of happened yeah there was like an artistic 
peak there was like a swell that happened that was almost sort of otherworldly it's sort of sort of like no one no one yeah. really planned it, well, no it, one it, it yeah it. i mean it permutates obviously but that just shows you how fast it was you know because it eventually it like the the seeds of the aesthetics of like animal collective and like black dice and all that stuff were, were planted well new york stuff what was interesting was they did they, they did a fast montage of like every band in the world wanted to be the next strokes and it did like this flash montage and like some like the libertines were one of them and there was like a bunch of other bands and mm-hmm. i was like and i never put that together i was like oh yeah like pete doherty and like carl Barrett, like the libertines wanted to be the strokes yeah, and they never yeah, put yeah. That together. I I, like, you can speak more I, that was not as much my bag well i mean i was just like a big I yeah. love Pete Doherty's like my favorite person of all time. I I, I like missed the rock revival thing. I mean, I like the Strokes, but I, I was more in the Black Dice. Uh, well, here's another thing weirdo, that I never like think electronic about, camp is when I think about that era. It's like you know they mention it, but there's you know there was like other bands like the White Stripes. And there's like other bands from other b- towns that like mm-hmm. I always associate. So I'm like, oh, the 2001 thing was like these bands and there's a bunch of other bands that were from outside of new york but when you actually look at like what was actually in new york i was like wow it really was like just two or three things it was really just like Interpol, yeah, yeah, yeah. The strokes and yeah yeah so i was like that's basically tv on the radio i was like that's it yeah it was like no liars kind you know but it's like the sm- smaller and smaller lcd yeah it's just I, interesting to be like wow this actually was like just a couple of yeah, yeah. this whole group of guys, to be honest with you, who pretend to be making. But that's what I'm albums. saying. But there, then that kind, like yeah, yes, and Rapture kind of led into the the, um, like zany indie aesthetic, which became bigger via animal like collective American podcast. apparel, metallic. Well, yeah, you know, just like era. it being some like uh, construction paper cutout of like a lightning bolt, like collage pasted over like a someone with their well, it's like if they eyes made a movie out. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of of like the We Are Your Friends, Justice, Ed Banger, yeah, House yeah. era, which is sort of the fall, the era following it at like the end of the two thousand end of the mm-hmm. aughts or whatever, mm-hmm. which is maybe even more my scene. But um, I don't know. It was, it was it was beautiful to revisit it. But the thing I left it feeling like I was like, damn, like maybe whatever the next scene is in New York, or like maybe whatever whatever's happening now, like maybe we only have like a year of it. Like it's or like a two year. It's like so short. This is I say it's this to you all the of, time. It's, it's like scary. It, it is, but that's what, I mean. It's humbling because you're like you know, no matter what you build, you have to adapt and you have to make you have to strive for making something timeless because the shit can be forgotten fast. Which is why we're start. We're gonna get into NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a full, official announcement that we've adopted. Uh, crypto bro mentality. I mean, I'm, I'm sure at some point, like the rapture will probably like the, like if I was in my early twenties and during the time, the rapture was that sick. I thought it was so sick. House of Joel's Lovers is like fucking amazing, but I would have thought that that was the coolest thing if I was like in my early twenties in New York in that era. I would have thought that that was the part that was like too cool for me, that I like strive to be that cool, you know. And then that didn't last. Well, here's another interesting thing: is that like I actually think that of all the bands that are investigated. Strokes, yeah, 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 Interpol, whatever. I actually think the one that defines New York the most in that era actually is probably DFA and James Murphy and LCD Sound System because it wasn't just a band. It actually was like a sound. And a yeah, label. yeah, 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 yeah. They were actually like trying to make an imprint on like, we're making dance punk or like we're yeah. making dance rock art records. Yeah, yeah. Rather than like, we're a cool band of like hot guys who are going to Europe and going on tour. Yeah. LCD was like, That's no, because he had New been York, through the ringer partying. enough to understand it, the importance of that. Yeah. Like we listened to Liquid Liquid, we you know what I mean? It was yes. just like it was like this is the sound. 
Whereas like the other bands, it was sort of like the sound was for like, you know, a month and then they took it to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. DFA really tried to make it like I I, really, I love DFA. Like I, that, that to me felt like that. I mean, it was like a, a cool New York record label. Name I, a cool I love New York the, record label. No. I know. I know. What I, is it? I, yeah. I mean, there's like not even music here. So I don't I'd, I'd say warp, but it's like, oh, yeah, it's not it's not as British. They are here. They're but, here, but, but it's not, right, it's it's not, exactly, it's not yeah. New York. And it doesn't sound like New York either. That's true. It's, it Do you know what I'm saying? Sound like New York. Having like a, a, a localized They barely sound. have any New York artists on the roster. And if they do, they're, ma- they're making British music like with a, with, a, with a British flavor. Yeah, there's, um, they're, um, yeah, they're like pretty much no New York artists besides OPN. But um, not even that. DFA, DFA didn't really have many great artist really but they put out cool hercules records and love affair dude I no love there was hercules, hercules and love affair. affair there was holy ghost lcd the rapture it's like they, it almost seems like a little corny now but what was really cool to me about them is that like there was like a really unified like all those records that came out on dfa really made sense together like they felt branded in sound yeah to new york local. i don't think it's corny i think it's back as fuck i was noticing how many fits were giving uh noah dylan chandler ransom lucy energy <laughs> I mean, the Strokes were the best dressed for sure. Yeah, I'm, I don't. Nick look. Nick Zinner looked pretty sick, dude. Actually, it was funny watching Nick Zinner because it was like Karen was talking about like meeting Nick Zinner and like starting yeah yeah's or whatever, and the literally the first celebrity or like person I knew who they were. I wouldn't call them celebrity that I ever saw at a party in New York City was Nick yeah, Zinner. I was with you, right? Because no. he was also the first one that I ever saw at a party, and it was at Home Sweet Home, huge house, great bar. First bar I ever went to in New York City. How's we know? I saw him at China Chalet in 08 at a gang gang oh, dance right. party. Like before we gang gang dance. That's the aesthetic I'm talking about. That's cut out. Uh, I know everybody broke into over, uh, fucking China Chalet or whatever, but sorry, I was there when <laughs> gang gang dance had a party at China Chalet and Nick Zinner was chilling. Yeah, uh, yeah, I saw Nick Zinner. Home to home. First bar I went to in New York. Got a fake ID. Um, that night went to Home Sweet Home. Still a sick bar, huge shells. But yeah, it was uh, the fear was definitely in me at the end of that movie, despite it being like really. I mean, the James stuff was the most inspiring because it felt so close. It was hitting really close to home in terms of like his age and like him having kind of gone through the ropes of you know seeing different people get successful and famous and him sort of like helping out all these people but never really getting any, you know, having any legitimacy for his own craft and. I mean, James is and LCD are so unbelievably successful. Um, yeah, like on like, like it's unfathomable. Yeah, like their success is nuclear. And and but yeah, but that's what, the way that band was put together. Exactly, and like that's Nancy what Nancy Wang was his drinking like buddy. He, yeah, he was he forced to play piano. He was forced into it. It forces. It was a guy from Out Hood, underrated band, and, and um, less savvy, savvy, less savvy fav. I don't really know them as well, but they're sick. Um, out hood, but it just started feeling like oh yeah like maybe maybe we don't know what's going on like it just it, like you can tell from the sense that watching that doc it was just sort of like well watching the doc it really solidified what i've learned and i've said before is my the advice that i would now give to anyone um that it, best shit happens by accident and uh you know yeah. you have to be open to those accidents you you have to not you have to clear your head of any type of trajectory of how it's supposed to happen because you'll you'll miss like the real opportunities that way. Here's the other thing that stuck out to me is that 
you know, we everything that we talk about now, like, it, I hate that it's infected art so much, but, like, we talk about fucking COVID so much as if it's, like, you know, everything that we do has to be defined by this thing that's going on. Yeah, so true. But it was, it's, it was such an amazing flex in this movie. It was, like... And all of this was happening in the face of nine fucking eleven. I know it was well, sort of like, oh yeah, that was. But the but the fallout from nine eleven, they they kind of explain how, which I never really thought about, how post nine eleven is what drove people to be like, you need to get the fuck out of the Lower East Side, and they went over to Williamsburg. Dude, I mean, literally, I never thought of that. But seeing obviously. Paul walk around nine eleven rubble was like a completely eye-opening moment i was like wow yeah. he was at 9-11 like what the fuck I, but no but it, like so it you know it is worth looking at i guess how covid changed the landscape because that does affect the way things are made just like how everything i just explained about why physically being in brooklyn uh fostered a scene in that way yeah. and fostered bands yeah. that way and that happened because of a post 9-11 thing people where fly, people, people flock there people and then there's like the paranoia in the air which they do a great job of explaining that stuff is very interesting and important to think about and it, it all factors into how these moments happen well people flocked to williamsburg then and then now they just flocked online yeah that's the difference is that like it was it was physical and it is now not yeah i mean yeah but, I'm, but it is relevant but even though i hate talking about it it is relevant yeah but I would love, I would rather wait to have some distance from it to really think about it like that, you know? Like, I would love to this see a doc. From our moment or this doc? Yeah, like, I would love to see a doc in 20 years like this showing what happened to, like, art and culture post-COVID. But, it, you know, I don't know if they really realized that's what was happening when in the moment, you know? Watch a doc about the orange couch. Yeah, so true. Um, but, yeah, it was insane heat. It was a beautiful watch. Another thing that's really weird that they did is that we had to watch this fucking movie at two in the morning last night. Yeah, it was like the midnight series. I guess that's it was midnight mountain time, that's why. But even the concept of them making these online screenings timed is insane to me. It's like <laughs> just make it available for the day. They said there was gonna be a QA afterwards and there wasn't. Yeah, that, yeah, they're doing these intros. And my vibe was What no QA? Oh, you know what we should talk about because we should give big shouts to Sundance for it was for the land acknowledgement. <laughs> No, do you not think? <laughs> <laughs> I well, I just thought it was nice. Yeah. Was, no, you know what we do is we do acknowledge who came before us in New York. I'm actually being dead ass. I don't know if I can joke anymore. Like that. Like even though like watching this meet me in the bathroom doc is like acknowledging like the 2000. What happened here in 2001? Like I think that we do always try and think about like what happened in the 70s here. Or like we're mm -hmm. in New York. We don't really go far beyond that. But <laughs> CBGB's is sort of as far back as yeah. I think of New York. I'm not thinking about like... Well, it was also interesting because this era... Okay, to, to contrast this with the Velvet Underground doc, right? I was, yeah, I actually wanted to do that. Because this was... A, you know, Velvet Underground actually was like a free That doc is better, but... Yeah, I mean, I, almost not worth comparing. I really liked both of them. Um, but I, I think... I, no, I think this doc was really good. I think it did a great job of portraying the um feelings in the air around 9-11 new york mm -hmm. you know in court the great archival footage uh giuliani shit like it was i thought that was all really well done well you know what i love about it is that like it's similar to well not completely about underground but like i love these docs like i love the covid constraint of this doc of only using um archival footage like yeah I, like i'm so glad i love that we didn't cut away to some like when we're hearing HD Paul thing. and when yeah. we're hearing 
I think maybe Julian or Albert. We hear multi, you know, Karen O. Like I love that these interviews are happening while we're watching stuff from the time that we care about. Yeah. There's there's a weird dissonance where we see like, oh, but this is what. Yeah. This, I, they're in some mansion now. I, no, I thought talking was, about it exactly, it's, and like looking worse. <laughs> yeah, it's not looking hot yeah, anymore. Yeah. They were quite as hot. Um, and and I thought it did a good job of of putting it into context in that way. Mm-hmm. And, but I also thought, yeah, I, I thought it was smart to, that thing I was saying of of the James Murphy perspective and how that was different than. Yeah, yeah, perspective and, and the strokes were just kind of confused and thrown into the whole thing and it was mm-hmm. completely incohesive that you know it was just everybody got thrown into it in their own way and this is what I was going to say well, earlier moldy peaches were on tour with the strokes think about how that, that makes zero sense I know but 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 even th- how everything clearly it did a great job portraying how everything clearly happened by accident to these yeah. to all these bands mm-hmm. but from a plethora of different um experiences leading up to that like yeah, yeah, yeah. there was james murphy who was so considered and had been trying and had tried so many different things and um then you ha- on the other hand you have like yeah 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 being like oh we just did six songs in a night you know <laughs> we're like drunk and on coke and 23 yeah. and then the strokes the same thing you know it was like everything happened by accident but it was took everybody way different paths to get to those accidents I thought it did a great job of showing that. Yeah, it just felt so disparate and and, and for that reason kind of magical. Yeah, I agree. And like you really can't control how these things happen. I also think it was interesting because it was Oh, this is what I was going to say. In contrast with the Velvet Underground doc, you know, you can look at like the 60s and 70s in New York and and think um um like th- there was no blueprint. It was actually just this kind of cultural revolution thing. Um this era of New York, early 2000s, was was really the beginning of retromania in that way, yeah, where it was the yeah, first yeah. time these people were actually looking to the past and trying to do the past. So it was the first time that really happened, you know? That's interesting, because I, I know you don't like talking about either of these people, but something that I literally always think about, because he is sort of a thinker, um, Sufyan always talks about the White Stripes as a museum piece. Which yeah. I loved the white strips growing up, but thinking of them because I thought that was like new. I was like, "Well, garage rock from Detroit," and I was like, "Oh no, it is." He's right. It's a museum piece. It's a museum piece of like what Detroit rock or like blues was yeah. at, at a different point. Well, all these bands where it was all like even the first LCD song like "Losing My Edge" is straight up like the fall meets liquid liquid. Like all these old like obviously DJ culture and dance music was a huge part of the 70s and 80s in New York do, but it was contemporary sounds. Like, well, James getting pissed when Napster comes out. And yeah. Like, all these, like, young kids have... Well, it was, it was interesting, and it kind of revealed James to be, like, a little bit of a piece of shit. Well, but he that, recognized like, it was... No, he yeah. recognized it was a piece of shit, but he was like, how do they... They have my Liquid Liquid record. They have, like, the Iggy and the Stooges or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because, like, well, you know, the internet exists. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah, because the internet did exist. Because the internet doesn't come into play much in the dock, but... Well, the internet, I mean, they have Paul and Interpol talking about how their second record, Antics, came out around the same time that Napster was booming mm-hmm. and that they would have made millions off that record, had not, but like everyone stole that record. But, Paul, if you're listening, I should tell you, I fucking bought Antics <laughs> on CD at the Princeton Record Exchange yeah. the moment it fucking came out. But also, clearly, that 
model worked better than what we currently have because bands were still making more money than they are from streaming. I know, even hearing it's like, oh yeah, the, the Stroke second record was a flop because it made 600 grand. Yeah, it's not, yeah. I was like, imagine making, imagine making 600 grand off of a no, CD. It's, it is completely unbelievable that the whole moral panic of our, our adolescent years of you're stealing from artists, they're, they're going to all go broke, art can't exist anymore. Now that's like irrelevant. And it, every, all the artists are worse off. That, that's underrated. I know people say it all the time, but it's extremely underrated. Well, how do you feel about this? Because this is something I've been thinking about a lot in relation to movies and stuff too. And I don't, I actually don't really have an answer for it. But the fact that I was so enamored with the Strokes and like these bands at the time, and like think it was new to me because I was young, mm-hmm. and like we were both young, and maybe we didn't even really understand the history of like. Like, I knew that, like, there were other, like, I knew, like, the fucking Rolling Stones and the Beatles and, like, all that shit existed well long, like, decades before mm-hmm. the music that was coming out at that time. But I was like, but this version's cooler. Like, this is better. Like, if, if it had this novel impact. And I was wondering, because, like, sometimes it's easy as an older person to kind of, like, shit on somebody's taste. Like, for example, somebody really likes the Safties. And, but they've never seen a Scorsese movie or something, mm-hmm. or a Cassavetes movie, but they only know Good Time. It's sort of like, oh yeah, no, it's sick, but you should go watch this stuff. Like, is that is that is that pure? Like, is it is is there maybe something pure about the fact that they just reached this piece of art first, and like their love for that is? Do you know what I'm saying? Kind of. I do. Where um, it's like, was I wrong to like the White Stripes before I liked like Sun House or like actual Delta Blues or something? It's like I literally no, to this day, a, I still think it's sicker. I think it's a cool gateway. It's just an interesting. I think it's just an interesting problem because what I said is literally what I said that this is the first time Retromania was happening. So, mm-hmm. you like if you if think about the '90s. Um, Okay, '90s UK, right? You got Britpop bands. You could you could say Retromania was happening a bit. I mean, they were starting to like recycle '60s music, of course. In it, but in a different way. I mean, it was. But it was a ref- from the it start. It was a refinement, exactly. And it was it was a step in a new direction. And I think that's what people miss is that like when all these motherfuckers told me to go. I mean, respect to Altman. I love Altman. But when people were telling me to go fucking watch Shortcuts because I didn't understand why magnolia was good and then i went and watched it i was like but magnolia is but like that's taking that and moving it i think ahead. people's perspective is that whereas early 90s brit pop was clearly influenced by the beatles and 60s uk well, I mean, they were dead ass like fucking covering john lennon songs at concerts they were like or george harrison like, right but were. it was still kind of elevated into the future yeah. you know and that was why the whole baggy thing was really important because it was like acid house came out Right, they started trying to merge with Acid House, and and that was totally future. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was like that's they, how I feel about Gex doing like exactly. Blink One Eighty Two. They were being now. influenced by their contemporaries. That doesn't really happen. That stopped happening in the two thousands. That's what I'm saying. Like he was being influenced by dance music, whereas in the eighties and nineties, if you were a rock musician getting turned on to dance music, you were getting turned on to things that was happening. There's still a level contemporarily. Of There's you know it's like. I think Gex are doing something with like, and Peep was doing stuff with like the like like emo rock and alt rock stuff. But it's th- that's still twenty years old at this point, you know. No, I know, but it's still a retromania thing towards a new mode. Yeah, or like the do- the DOS track being sort of like shoegazy. Right, but I'm just saying that like being influenced by total contemporaries, right, is maybe not. Actually, you might even 
it's weird because people will complain that things are too retromania, right? Mm-hmm. But if a new band started just like doing, I don't know, like Arca sounds, yeah, you would just be like, this band's just doing like Arca shit. Yeah, like, don't they have any like reference from history? Well, we have the here's the real things. We have no concept of the what the future sounds or looks or feels like anymore because like yeah. the the go to was sort of like a Bjork soundscape. Where it's just sort of like crazy production and like mm-hmm. futuristic sounds. That's why like I said argue, just like whatever the shit is that's yeah. just totally, you know, now. Whereas now sometimes the future can sound like, you know, just like a literally like a normal rock song or a normal pop song. That's what the opposite, the opposite Radiohead trajectory where it's mm-hmm. people will start out now very experimental and then their most subversive act will, they'll start to get more and more traditional quote unquote. And their most subversive act will be to straight up releasing a regular song. Yeah. Well, that's, we haven't even really talked about it, but like the Radiohead thing of like them starting like the Smile Band, which is literally just yeah. like a rock band. It yeah. literally sounds like. I underrated f- that. I only listened to it like once. It was, it's, it's not, pretty it, sick. No, it's sick. But it just, it literally just sounds like the first rock song that Johnny and Tom made together yeah, yeah, like yeah. in college together, which in a way is like really beautiful and like does feel very subversive. It's sort of like, oh my God, they're just like putting a rock song out. Like that's crazy. Yeah. But I guess it's also, it has to do with accessibility. I think it's, easy to make experimental music now because everybody has access to a computer and even if you don't have a lot of expensive plugins or whatever you can download shit and chop it up you can just make you can go anyone listening probably most people have at some point you know what's at least not, in garage you know band made something weird yeah that's now very accessible so i think it feels more subversive now whereas that used to feel subversive to for a band to get experimental as computers were new and entering our lives in a new way now it's the opposite that's kind of the default everybody has garage yeah. band and can just go make some shit to actually write a song and um like arrange a song is a skill that is like new what's really good everyone this is ion one and um this is the on pack the on pod by the on pack and we did it again this week we are giving away the first part free and there's another at least hour on patreon and i mean it's heat we keep going the fuck in if you've listened this far you know we go the fuck in as always and if you go to patreon.com slash the ion pack you'll hear us continue to go the fuck in as always so you already know patreon.com slash the ion pack i will keep going the fuck in you already know. Patreon.